This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset. We have the Great Awakening. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol. I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. On January 2nd, 2024, embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned her post after a sustained right-wing campaign accusing her first of anti-Semitism and, when that was unsuccessful, plagiarism. This sparked a firestorm of controversy that is still raging as we speak. On this episode of the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, Mike Centers joins me to discuss some of the ramifications and where things are likely to go next. Stick around. Mike, welcome back to Did Nothing Wrong. Thanks for coming on with us today. Hey, man. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. How was your holiday? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just spent it, in, spent it with family in Kentucky, and I'm back in old Virginia now. Oh, there you go. Old Virginia. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So... There was a bit of news, and we're recording this on Wednesday, January 3rd. Yesterday, embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned her post after allegations of plagiarism. Uh, I'm going to quote the Harvard Crimson really quickly, who broke the story. Harvard President Claudine Gay will resign Tuesday afternoon, bringing an end to the shortest presidency in the university's history, according to a person with knowledge of the decision. Harvard spokesperson Jonathan L. Swain declined to comment on Gay's decision to step down. Gay's resignation, just six months and two days into her presidency, comes amid growing allegations of plagiarism and lasting doubts over her ability to respond to anti-Semitism on campus after her disastrous congressional testimony December 5th. Gay weathered scandal after scandal over her brief tenures facing national backlash for her administration's response to Hamas's October 7th attack and allegations of plagiarism in her scholarly work. So we see that Mr. Chris Rufo's evil plan seemingly worked. For those of you who aren't super familiar with Chris Rufo, he started in Seattle with an outfit called the Discovery Institute. And one of the things that Chris Rufo cut his teeth, as we say, pushing was the intelligent design idea, the teach the controversy, which there really wasn't much of a controversy, but Rufo wanted to talk about potentially the devil burying dinosaur bones. And he was kind of mocked about that, but he got better with his messaging and he got to a point where he was being the guy taken seriously on the Fox hits. He was going on Tucker. He was going on Hannity. And then he managed to get himself essentially a job overhauling the Florida education system under Ron DeSantis. And it's gone about as well as you'd expect it to go. Things are not working especially well at New College of Florida, which he decided to make an example out of. He went through and basically fired everybody he could fire. And academic rates are in the toilet. Everything's falling apart down there. Yet he's being held up as this example of what we want to see in higher education. And I could see this guy ending up in a second Trump administration with the secretary of education gig. 
It's the kind of thing they do. Yeah, that that's kind of terrifying to think about Chris Rufo being the Secretary of Education. On paper, he has more credentials than Betsy DeVos did. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> which is terrifying in yeah, and of which itself. Is very terrifying. They've already had someone technically worse, but mm-hmm. it is the kind of thing that they want because that will give them, you know, a huge foothold in an institution, in a big institution. And they can leverage that into remaking that system the way they want to remake it. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, Chris basically posted what the plan was, right? And Mm -hmm. you've tweeted about this. Oh, yeah. Where they're the ones that brought the accusations of plagiarism, which Harvard formed a committee to investigate. And the actual results of that committee are still not released. So there hasn't been a, a rendered decision on if she actually pray, plagiarized, and if so, to what extent. Yet the public pressure put on by this kind of rallying of the far right online, which Chris Rufo's talked about, mm-hmm. you know, did did its job. It, it put enough constant pressure on Harvard that they were just like, we're not even going to wait for the committee to render its decision. We're going to compel Claudine Gay to resign now so we can kind of move on from this, which is disappointing. Uh-huh. I try not to pay attention to Harvard just because I don't think Harvard needs more attention. No, right? no, they people have heard of them. Yeah, but she was this kind of revolutionary moment of first black woman being president of Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. Of Harvard. That's a big deal. And when she resigned yesterday... I immediately thought of a quote from uh, Barack Obama's biography where he essentially says that, you know, as an African-American coming into a role that's been held by mostly white men for Mm -hmm. ages, you're put on a higher standard of expectation, right? You have to go beyond being perfect to stay there. Absolutely you do. Because I've seen a number of academics come out and say that with the accusations of plagiarism that have been leveled against her if it was a white man they would have at very least waited until a decision was rendered and if it was only minor infractions maybe they would have gotten a slap on the wrist but not not this and not the constant pressure so yeah definitely not and the other thing that definitely wouldn't have happened is articles about her and her various scandals being top five featured stories on the new york times homepage on december 7th december 8th december 9th december 10th december 11th december 12th december 13th december 14th december 17th december 22nd december 25th and now her firing is their top story yeah so i mean the kind of mainstream media right definitely had a role to play in this and Rufo talks about it right Mm -hmm. he he says okay we have these accusations out there now we need to build on this to get what he calls center left left media to kind of make all these connections between her her plagiarism and her bad testimony uh, during the congressional committee and link all those together to be like, Hey, she's a very problematic person that needs to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, that's what ended up happening. There was one tweet that Rufo commented on, I believe it was a Jake Tapper tweet where he essentially Jake Tapper was saying that what Claudine Gray said about defending her comments didn't address her plagiarism. And Chris Rufo was like, yes, yeah. Good job, CNN, Go, for not Jake. letting 
<laughs> yeah, go Jank. Yeah, good job for, for, for not letting your weasel out of that question, right? And it's like, well, why are mainstream media sources constantly harping on this? Is it simply because it's Harvard? You know, would it would it be the case that the New York Times and CNN would be making such a big deal out of it, regardless of who the president was, simply because it's Harvard and Harvard makes it the big deal? Yeah. Or is it the fact that it's the first black woman as president of Harvard and that's what makes it the big deal, right? The fact that she's not living up to unreasonable expectations set up to her. And so now everyone's seeing a chance to kind of knock her down a peg. And we will probably never know the answer to that question definitively, but we can kind of gather what this might have been from the idea that they didn't like her answers about protecting students from anti-Semitism on campus and immediately pivoted to her plagiarism. It was first trying to get her for being an anti-Semite, and that didn't stick. So they immediately went digging and they found these accusations of her being a plagiarist. And all of a sudden that became the worst thing ever. That became top coverage in CNN and the New York Times for days at a time. We've got two wars going on in the world right now. We've got any number of things that they could have spent their time covering. But instead, we're getting story after story about the Harvard president has plagiarized people. And it's just odd that people thought that that needed to be the story for as long as they thought that it needed to be the story for. It is odd, right, where there is so much going on elsewhere that this was a thing that constantly popped up. Like it, it got to the point to where even my dad, who, you know, he watches CNN and Fox. He, he's the guy who likes to try and watch both, get both sides, as he says. Right. He called me and he was like, yeah, what's going on with this President Gay and, and Harvard stuff? You know, he <laughs> called me to, to ask me about it because he's like, I'm seeing it and hearing it all over the news. So, you know, he called to ask me about it and I had only been kind of tangentially following it. I'm like, well, it's, you know, she had a really bad hearing at Congress and now apparently there are accusations of plagiarism. And it's also very telling that they singled her out of everyone. Yeah, definitely. To really, really go in on. And again, part of it probably, oh yeah, it's Harvard. If we knock off the Harvard president, you know, that's a big win. But at the same time, I think she was obviously targeted. And if you look at some of the posts on like 4chan or Reddit after her resignation was announced, you can very much tell that the kind of online trolling community definitely targeted her for being a black woman. Mm -hmm. One of the first things I did when I saw that Harvard Crimson post on Twitter was, well, I should go check 4chan and Reddit, <laughs> see how they're reacting to this. Because again, the top comment on the Harvard Crimson tweet was a blue check who said, we did it, Reddit. Like, right, like we, the trolling community, the, the shit posters of Reddit, took out Harvard's president. Which was almost the exact same thing Elon Musk tried to say later on in that day on Twitter. Exactly, exactly. I saw his response to someone saying, yeah, this story would have been buried if it wasn't for Chris Rufo and other brave tweeters who were out here tweeting this story up. <laughs> no, like it absolutely wouldn't have been buried, right? Like, because we've already talked about it. Every mm -hmm. mainstream news source was covering this day by day. Yeah. Like endless headlines. So the fact that Musk also wanted to try and kind of take credit for this 
it just shows that for them, the kind of like far right online posters, this goes back to this idea of trolling being a game, right? Mm-hmm. Of trying to amass social capital or like kind of like social credit points by knocking off famous people, important people. Yeah. Or, or getting people to suffer, right? And right. Like you, you earn prestige by doing that. But it's actually about ethics and video game journalism, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's not about harassing women. It's it's uh-huh. about those ethics. We're not bad people, we swear. And it's interesting that so many people got what they wanted out of this. Mm-hmm. Because one of Chris Rufo's big bugbears over the years has been destroying the institutions. Let's let him talk about this for a second. Let's Let's have a listen to Chris Rufo's take on the institutions. And so I think the lesson of this is that the institutions in the United States that have adopted these ideologies cannot be appeased. They can't be easily shifted from within. They've been captured at the bureaucratic level. And Disney has the perfect case study. Disney executives have delegated moral authority within the company and political authority within the company to internal activist organizations, whether they're in the race and sex segregated uh, identity caucuses or in the human resources departments. And so what it's gonna require is not a long march through the institutions. I think most conservatives uh, don't have the ambition of one day being a uh, diversity and equity uh, director at a public school district. Um, You know, uh, whatever that might look like. So the strategy is not to say, well, let's march back in. Let's let's have a kind of counter march. I think the strategy is quite different. It's an actual siege strategy. They know that these things don't favor them. They know that they are at a disadvantage when it comes to the, let's just say, legacy institutions. Some of them call it the cathedral. And they understand that this isn't something that's going to be positive for them that's probably ever really going to go their way. So as you heard, they want to go ahead and destroy it. They want to go ahead and make sure that they put their own institutions in their place. You know, they want Hillsdale. Hillsdale's one. And then there's there's another one. It's out in Texas. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head that they just founded. Oh, yeah. University of Austin. University yeah, of you, Austin is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Hillsdale's been around a bit longer, but University of Austin's the brand new one that everyone with an actual academic reputation just laughed at it when it was founded. Mm -hmm. And I think that by doing that with the University of Austin, that they've kind of realized is that was their attempt of creating another set of institutions that could be prestigious, that could be important to them, that could boost uh, their reputation. And they were rightly laughed at and mocked because right. the fact that it's like you guys are just trying to create your own little club with, with with fake little certificates. And so that turns into, well, okay, we need to dismantle these established institutions then. Right. Because who's going to want to go to the University of Austin when the University of Texas is right there? Exactly. But also, we can't overlook the fact that even though you know far-right conservatives attack these institutions like Harvard, Yale, Columbia, all that, a lot of the people in actual power from the conservative side of things went to these institutions oh yeah because they need to in order to in order to get the rubber stamp of prestige right Mm -hmm. i mean ted cruz went to harvard 
Yeah. Bush went to Yale. Bush went to Yale. They all do. Yeah, they all went to either Harvard or Yale. Every conservative Supreme Court justice went to either Harvard or Yale. And so, you know, they need to have the rubber stamp of, of the prestigious institution. But I think at their core, they understand that they're not actually respected by the people who run those institutions because of their their very bad politics, right? So it's the idea of, yeah, I might have the rubber stamp, but no one at Harvard actually respects me. No, not in the slightest. And what Chris Rufo has done so successfully is he has figured out a way to reverse engineer some of the tactics of 1968. And he's trying to run essentially his own takeover. Yeah, it's like you were saying, the the ability to remake these institutions, right? Because they've already kind of tried the experiment of, of making their own and it didn't work. So the only option is to dismantle, discredit and destroy institutions that they can't capture and do their best to capture other institutions that they can, which so far they haven't they haven't had a lot of success with. No, they have definitely not. In terms of institutional capture, which is good. You know, I, I think it shows that despite what some people might say about the inevitability of the collapse of the American democratic system, right? The fact that our institutions have been relatively resilient through the Trump administration and through Biden's administration shows that, hey, like, yeah, things kind of suck, but the guardrails are still mostly in place. Right, right. And the guy that they replaced President Gay with is a gentleman by the name of Alan Garber, who is a MD-PhD. He's got a PhD in economics. He's got a MD, and he is not exactly the guy that Chris Rufo probably would have picked to put in that job. And what's been really kind of fun is watching all of the Nick Fuentes types get really, really upset about this. They are complaining heartily that this guy is as much of a DEI advocate as gay was. And this guy's Jewish. And it's like they chased the car. They caught the car. But the problem is they replaced the driver of the car with somebody whose policies probably aren't going to be all that different from what President Gay was in favor of. Mm -hmm. And it kind of points out to me that this really reminds me in a lot of ways of the Al Franken case. Mm -hmm. 2017, U.S. Senator Al Franken was essentially forced to resign. And I think that hardened the people on the left and the Democrats about what exactly they were looking at in terms of the tactics. I think after that, Democrats kind of realized we're never going to let that happen again. Mm -hmm. We are over the idea that they can manufacture a controversy and pick off a U.S. senator as a result of that controversy. And I think that we may have just seen the same thing happen with Chris Rufo and Claudine Gay. Because Chris Rufo is really big on having to tell you the plan. He loves that. I mean, he even liked my tweet calling that out with Jake Tapper. So Chris Rufo absolutely loves to be the comic book villain mm -hmm. 
I don't know, maybe people didn't love him enough as a kid. Maybe people didn't pay enough attention to this guy or something. But he needs that ego boost of seeing people on the left, seeing liberals upset with him. And I think that people are now wise to the game that this guy is playing. And I think that they can put two and two together the next time he tries to get outraged about something and just kind of be like, nah, pound sand, just pound sand. This isn't going to work anymore. You saw a really great thread from Dave Roberts last night who was asking the question that I think we should all be asking. And that's the whole, like, why, why is Mm -hmm. this relevant right now? This is everything else that's going on. Why is Chris Rufo able to do this kind of stuff? And a lot of it comes down to, well, because he can get stories in the New York times and he can get stories on CNN. And as long as the New York times and CNN are willing to print essentially his press releases, you're going to have a lot of people who will take that seriously as a result. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're going to see here is a hardening of the left's position on a lot of this kind of stuff. And I don't think they're willing to give these guys the benefit of the doubt anymore. At least I hope not. Yeah. Because I think it's pretty clear that there's nothing even remotely resembling good faith in what Chris Rufo does. And the fact that he's now out here bragging about how we are going to take down DEI, we are going to take down all of these things, and we are going to establish an anti-woke regime in our colleges now. It's like, okay, part of the reason that you were sort of successful with this before is because you weren't out here necessarily trying to trumpet your brilliance and tell everybody how great you were at this stuff. You have just picked a fight. (laughs) <laughs> and now the other side knows it's in one. Mm-hmm. So I'll be real interested to see if that holds. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think you're right in saying that part of the problem is the fact that legacy media is willing to just kind of print whatever he says just because it's click worthy, right? Like, mm-hmm. ooh, President President of Harvard potentially doing uh, plagiarism, right? But also, like, there's the fact that so much of the conservative apparatus. And I think Dave Roberts talked about this in his, in his thread. You mentioned so much of the conservative apparatus is also very corrupt, mm-hmm. right? Like justice Thomas, right? Like oh, God, yes. there, there's been so much about, about his corruption, but it never actually makes, as far as I can remember, it's never actually made like headlines. Like it's been on CNN. It's been on the New York times. But it's never front page, very large, bold typeface. You know, this is our leading story. It's always like, oh, yeah, you can go read about Justice Thomas getting $100,000 from this certain lobbying group in which he ruled on a case over on like page, you know, A10, right? Right. And so like it's there, but but it's not getting the proper framing that it deserves of like, oh, a literal Supreme Court justice is essentially taking bribes. Yeah. And yet that gets kind of swept away. For whatever the reason, that's not headline making. But the president of Harvard may be potentially plagiarizing. That's headlines. And to a certain extent, that does speak to Rufo and the far right's ability to whip up a frenzy over these issues, at least online, to, to make things seem viral. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And they're very good at it. 
Yep. They've cut their teeth doing it in local media in some cases. Rufo's from Seattle. At one point, he published a video documentary called Seattle is Dying. Still got people talking about it, talking about how the lack of affordable housing in this town has contributed to a massive homeless problem and a massive drug problem. Only he doesn't really tell you it's the lack of affordable housing, mm-hmm. right? He's just got this slick documentary with lots of pictures of unhoused people, lots of pictures of people doing drugs. And it's like, look, this is our permissive moral standards and our woke liberal city council. It's like, no, it's the fact that it's one of the most expensive cities to live in the United States. And a lot of people have just gotten straight aced out of the market because we don't do zoning and we don't do density here. Mm-hmm. That's why. At least that's a good chunk of why. Probably more so than anything the woke city council decided to do. But go off, King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so basically, these guys have learned their craft. They've honed it. They've gotten to the point where they can get mainstream media to uncritically swallow their talking points because I don't know, I guess they want to seem fair. That's the most charitable reading I think I've got of this one that they want to seem like they're actually airing both sides. They're teaching the controversy as it were, but I I think they've kind of hit their ceiling with this. I really do. And I think the backlash is coming and it's going to be kind of ugly Like I'm seeing this morning some allegations about Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, Mm. who apparently did a little plagiarism. Apparently, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote a book in 2006, and he was called The Future of Assisted Suicide in Euthanasia. And he did the same thing, copied the structure Mm. and language used by several authors, failed to cite source material in his book and an academic article, Mm -hmm. took a... 1984 article in the Indiana Law Journal and put it into his book. Didn't tell anybody he was doing it. So by your rules, Chris Rufo, Neil Gorsuch must resign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But of course, with the far right, it's always our people are are insulated from this sort of thing, right? It's, oh no, Claudine Gay actually plagiarized. What you all are doing to Neil Gorsuch is just political, right? It's it's just a political attack, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're very good at being able to put on different masks and and, and mm-hmm. use different language for their own people versus the people they're attacking, right? It, right? It's always you're the sinner, you're the one that's done the bad thing of plagiarism, and our attacks are never political. We're just in it for the ethics. We're not going after Claudine Gay because we hate her as as a black woman in a position of power and the fact that she's like a liberal. Mm-hmm. We're going after her because we're concerned about the rigors of academic integrity, right? Right. Versus with Neil Gorsuch, you know, if he did plagiarize, then all of a sudden it's going to be, oh, no, this is all nothing but a political attack. This is all baseless, no matter what evidence you present. And this just goes to their ability to kind of face swap right that, like, oh, yeah, speaks to the fact that trying to reason or debate or even even come to a common understanding with a lot of these people, conservatives specifically is what I mean by that is impossible because they live in two separate worlds Mm -hmm. or they, they view the world through that lens of there are my people and then there's everyone else who who's kind of the big other right and right. my people never do anything wrong ever nope versus the other who they're always doing something wrong yeah and so how do you reason with that how do you communicate with that how do you 
try and exist in a coherent society with that. It's hard, right? And that's what we're, it's always been an issue, but with, with kind of the prevalence of social media and the kind of rise of more instant mass communication, right, it, it's taken that problem and it's just exacerbated it so much more. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And the tactic of let's go after you at your institutions doesn't work because mm -hmm. they have been conditioned over the years to not give a shit what anyone on the left thinks mm -hmm. of them to them. It's what you said. It's the you versus us type of thing. They are one side. The left is the other side. Liberals always lie. So of course there's no point in even giving their allegations any credence at all at this point. And right. I'm going to go back and quote the wise statesman, you know, Mitch McConnell here, who's always <laughs> sort of wagging his finger and tutting about anything the liberals want to do. He's like, well, we're going to do it to you. Anything you want to do when it comes to changing the rules, anything it comes to do with changing the procedures, we're going to do it to you. Mm -hmm. And I think this may have been that tipping point of, okay, you have now officially pushed this too far. You have now officially put yourself in the category of, we aren't going to listen to a thing you say anymore. We are going to point out all of your bad faith. We are going to point out every single bit of disingenuous bullshit that you guys do from now on. The response mm -hmm. to anything you complain about is going to be straight whataboutism. Going to mm -hmm. be straight, what about you? What about you? Don't even acknowledge it. Just what about? That's how they've done it. Yeah, you're right. That's how they want to play the game. And I'm at a point now where I feel like that just might be an appropriate response. Because it's one thing to take criticism from somebody you think is interested in making whatever they're criticizing better. The reason you're criticizing Claudine Gay and her potential plagiarism is because you're actually trying to make the institution better. But mm -hmm. when you have a video where you talk about destroying the institutions, you don't get to make that argument in good faith. Right. You're, you're not trying to help the institution. You're trying to destroy it. And for that, she's a means to an end. So... I think at some point it's time to stop listening to these guys and say, okay, you're mad. Cool. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. I noticed that there was a, a congressional hearing about this stuff. The presidents of some of these colleges got hauled before Congress and it was an absolute disaster. There's an article in Politico where they talk about this and just how bad the preparation was. And two of the, college presidents that ended up at this hearing ended up resigning as a result. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that the president of Columbia university blew it off. They were supposed to be there. They weren't, they had a schedule conflict, couldn't do it. And what happened to that president and what happened to Columbia university as a result of this? Nothing. Nothing. Yep. They in some cases have as much power as you let them have. And I think when they start doing some of this, it's time to just let them go be whiny children. You want to be mad about this? You go right ahead and be mad about this. Here's a cape. You can be super mad and see where that gets us. Because right. kowtowing to this has gotten us nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's put us on the back foot. It's made us just easily manipulatable. Right. And th this just reminds me of in, in 2016, during the Democratic National Convention, Michelle Obama gave her then 
you know, famous speech where she was talking about Trump's specific bullying attitude. And she said, when they go low, we go high. And I think that's been the mentality of a lot of liberals for since then of like, well, we need to take the moral high ground. We need to show that we're better than them. But like when your opponent is willing to fight as dirty Mm -hmm. as they can possibly conceive that they're that they can fight you know i I think taking the moral high ground works if the stakes are relatively low if it's like okay we'll take the moral high ground on you know issues of like how we're going to allocate the infrastructure bill or perhaps norms in the house and the senate but when like the stake of like the democratic experiment in America is kind of up for grabs. Yeah. Right. With the upcoming election, like, no, we need to fight as dirty as, as we can conceive in order to ensure that these people don't get power. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think Michelle Obama's, you know, that saying, I think it's a really good saying. I think it's something we should strive for. Sure. I think ideally like it should be, the sort of norms that we have in an ideal country, but like we're clearly not an ideal country right now. Uh, And we need to understand that. We need to kind of understand that like, hey, we can really only have a kind of they go low, we go high mentality if if there's at least some willingness to like actually compromise or if there's some good faith that the other party has. Yeah. If the other party has no good faith, if the only thing they're in it for is their own personal gain, their own personal power, their singular political agenda, then like, no, like that doesn't work. That doesn't work anymore. Nope. And so, yeah, I, I think you're right in saying that, especially going into a presidential election season, we, we need to kind of understand that, hey, we can't take that moral high road anymore. Like as much as we perhaps want to, and as much as we should, when it's feasible, like we need to understand that these people are gunning for us with everything they've got. And we, we kind of need to be willing to punch back with everything we have as well, especially where so much is kind of on the line. Exactly. Yeah. And it comes down to a case of, would you rather win? Or would you rather lose, but have taken the high road? Mm -hmm. And I get both arguments. I really do. I get the idea that a lot of people just aren't going to compromise on this no matter what. But what are we talking about compromising here? This is politics. This has always been a dirty sport. Mm -hmm. Does that make it right? No. But are you willing to let people suffer because you didn't want to match the energy? Right. And I mean, I think we can trace all, maybe not trace all of it, but I think a key example of of where kind of taking the moral high ground has definitely not worked out and has led to more suffering down the line was when Scalia passed away and Obama was still president, right? Mm -hmm. Like Obama had a chance to put a judge up and to kind of say, hey, like he deserves a hearing. He deserves a vote. He's going to get it. And McConnell was like, no, we're not going to do it because we're, we're going to let the American people decide like through the election. And Obama let that go. Yeah, that was absolutely unprecedented. Nothing like yeah. that has ever happened. I mean, if you look at, you know, Amy Comey Barrett, mm-hmm. how much before Trump's election did that happen? Yeah. And so we, we see that dichotomy, right? We see the let's take the moral high ground route with Obama. 
you know, we cede, Democrats essentially cede that seat to the conservatives because we they end up losing in 2016. And then when basically the exact same thing happens with, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm-hmm. um, the conservatives are like, wait till the election. Oh, hell no. Like, we're putting in our judge now. You're in crazy if you think we're going to do that. And it's like, if there's one thing that conservatives get more than liberals and Democrats do, it's that politics is just kind of the raw use of power, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the ability to say, hey, I'm the one in control. I'm going to do what's best for me and my group. Yeah. And like, that's perhaps not the ideal we want in a democratic society, but that's just how politics works. We would all love to have a system where everybody gets their voice heard, everybody gets a vote, and the right thing is always done. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that is just not, that's not how it's ever right. worked. And I yeah. hate it. Yeah. Again, I'm not trying to make excuses for bad behavior here, but mm-hmm. the problem is the bad behavior is going to happen. Right. And all I'm saying is instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt as good faith actors, I think it's time to dispense with that little conceit. Right. That these are good faith actors that we're talking about on the other side because they're just not. They say it in public. I mean, we had Katie McHugh on the program who was a former editor at Breitbart, used to work directly for Bannon. Mm -hmm. This woman knows how that game gets played inside of those circles. And the one thing Mm -hmm. that she said, which confirmed something I'd always suspected, is that they like nothing better than to lie to the faces of liberals about things. Mm -hmm. They think it's funny. And I mean, it's one thing for a guy like me who's never been involved in that level of politics, that level of power, somebody who's just read a lot and has some opinions on it, to think that. It's another thing for somebody who used to take five calls a day from Steve Bannon to -hmm. confirm it. That's where you kind of find yourself thinking, okay, if that's how it's going to be, then there is no reason to let you people have a say in what we do anymore. Exactly. And I guess I want to make two actual statements here. So the first is going back to kind of the Democrats or the liberals need to play dirty, right? And going back to Obama kind of ceding that, that Supreme Court seat. Like, look at how much suffering that has caused now, because if, if he hadn't done that, if he had kind of put his foot down and said, you know what, Mitch? No, like I'm not listening to you. We're going to get this guy confirmed. He's going to end up on the court. We would have a tied court now, at least, if things had played out the same. Yeah. And with a tied court, maybe Roe v. Wade still stands, right? Maybe there aren't a bunch of women out there now worried about you know where they need to go because they they need to have an abortion not because it's even necessarily an unwanted child but because if they don't get an abortion they are going to die right right? because none of the states that had like laws that kicked in after the dobbs case came and it was all like no like abortion is now 100 percent illegal all the time Mm -hmm. you look at the case recently of the woman in texas who Mm -hmm. literally was going to die she was going to have her you know, potential reproductive abilities curtailed as a result of this, this baby they were forcing her to carry that wasn't viable. And she ended up having to leave the state to get health care. And now you've got Texas trying to file subpoenas to institutions out of state, like, for instance, Seattle Children's Hospital, to find out if they've done medical care for trans kids. These people right. are way the hell over their skis. 
And that kind of goes to my second point I was going to make is it's less of a thing now, and I'm and I'm glad it's less of a thing now. Um, but within like the old democratic core, there used to be this kind of, oh, we need we need to work towards bipartisanship. We need to work towards reaching across the aisle to get things done, right? And I think that is only fine if like you're reaching across the aisle if like the things that the other side disagrees with are like issues of taxation and infrastructure and military spending and and like stuff that like you know mostly involves like money and bureaucratic reform right like in in terms of that yeah you know like having disagreements about that is fine having disagreements about a woman's bodily autonomy having disagreements about trans people's rights to exist like no like that's something you don't reach across the aisle on that's not something that you compromise on no. And I, I think we're seeing a solidification of that within the Democratic Party of like, hey, we're not we're not trying to do bipartisan stuff on that anymore, which is good. And that's good because from what we're seeing, the Republican Party is con- just continuing being pushed further to the right. Yeah. Right. Especially when you look at the kind of younger generation of young Republicans coming up through the system now, they're even more terminally online, even more kind of like politically unhinged from the center mm-hmm. than uh, Ron DeSantis, than Trump, than, you know, Ted Cruz, than kind of like the crutz core conservatives that we have now. Like it's the young Republicans that are posting, oh, yeah. you know, the literal Nazi stuff. Yeah. Like the Ron DeSantis Black Sun video that I talked about on Twitter. It ended up being some young Republican staffer who worked for the Ron DeSantis campaign. Nate Hotman is, you know, he wrote for the National Review. He is young. He's very much pushed straight replacement theory. And he's very kind of immersed in the online language of the far right, right? Right. Because you look at that video and it's it's nothing but memes and references that you need to be terminally online to get. And that's what we're going to get more of from the Republican Party within the next 20 to 30 years. I know there was another video that came out where it's a bunch of young, like, and I mean young kids. They're like 10, 11, 12 year olds who meet one of these oh, famous. Oh, right, uh, right, yeah. right. Sneeko. Yeah, yeah, Sneeko. Yeah, Nick Fuentes' best friend. Yeah, they meet Sneeko, and they're like, yeah, man, fuck women and gay people. Kill the gays, kill the gays. Yeah, kill the gays. And, like, he's, like, he looks visibly shocked by Mm -hmm. that. Like, oh, the stuff I'm saying? No way. Like, people are taking that seriously? No way. What'd you take? Fuck the woman, fuck the woman. What? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. No, no, wait, wait, wait. We love women. We love women. We love women. But not, not like transgender. Yes, sir. We love everybody. No, no. All gays are gay. Yeah, yeah, merch, reach. What have I done? We're all trying to find the guy who did this. Exactly. And I mean, I think his reaction is genuine because I think for for his generation. Because I think Sneaker is like in his 30s, right? Late 20s or 30s. Late 20s, I think. Yeah. So like his generation grew up 
and like me grew up in, in a culture specifically online and in the internet that is just saturated with iron mm -hmm. right like you can never post anything sincerely everything has to be caked and layered in and just double to triple to quadruple layers of irony you never mean anything seriously i honestly think he was operating under the assumption that all of his his misogynist bigoted stuff he thought he was saying ironically that people would get he was maybe saying you know ironically right he understood that like hey people are going to get on either saying this ironically or like the people that are, are like watching me are going to be like older guys who either they're already they get the ironic humor or they're already racist and bigoted. And so I'm just catering to the crowd. And so him seeing a bunch of 10 year olds literally saying that is like, Oh, Oh yeah. It's kind of this realization of like a lot of the kind of understanding that every post is ironic. Like the younger generation doesn't quite have that. No, they don't. It's moved away from that. Like, it's you post sincerely, even if it's cringe stuff, you post it sincerely online now. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, his buddy, Nick Fuentes, absolutely knows this. What is required is somebody who is tactical with their language. Tactical, okay? Use irony because, you know, when it comes to something like Holocaust revision... I mean, this is a subject that you cannot deviate from the popular consensus on. But you also you also can't, like, I, I also think you really can't tell the truth if you adhere to that. So it's sort of like getting in the middle. It's being provocative. It's being, I, I can't explain this in a very explicit way. You're going to have to just sort of uh, get what I'm saying here. When it comes to a lot of these issues, you need a little bit of maneuverability that irony gives you. Oh, well. You know, what does that mean? Well, I was being ironic. Well, I was joking. Well, it's whatever. Well, you don't understand the tone. Well, you don't understand humor. And that's true. And it is true to a great extent. You know, if you sat me down, uh, you know, with a fucking lie detector and asked me to go through all my views completely earnestly and sincerely, I'd probably come across a lot more moderate than you would imagine. But irony is a very important, like, linguistic and rhetorical weapon so that we can be subversive. And that is what they don't understand. We are dissidents. And as dissonance, they want to crush our ideas, our modes of communication, our organizing, our networking. That is why we must subvert those rules. We must be tactical. I use sardonic humor to convey a point subversively. I have never, you know, well, I do actually literally on my show say, just kidding, that's a joke, whatever. But the point is made. But the point is delivered. It's all a joke, brah. <laughs> And Nick Fuentes uses the irony posting. He says so himself. He says he's just an irony bro. Just it's it's all ironic. It's all a joke. But he says he's doing that to get the message out mm -hmm. because he's always got that defense of being able to walk it back. Because as awful as Fuentes is, he knows that the younger generation isn't doing that. That none of this is irony mm -hmm. to them. No, nope, this is how you should be. You should think all of these things that they say. Mm -hmm. And it is just so disingenuous to watch them pretend that it's anything other than what it is. The same way it's just absolutely disingenuous to watch a guy like Chris Rufo pretend that this is really about plagiarism. Right, because it's not. And it, it never has been and it never will be because the political right, like those who specifically 
orient themselves towards politics on the right. They've got goals, right? And they, they operate with the express intent of reaching those goals, right? Yep. And one of the things that I hope we can see going forward, and it's funny because whenever whenever I've had people ask me either on Twitter or in real life about specifically far-right rhetoric online, you know, one of the first things they always ask me is like, well, how can you tell if they really mean what they're saying? It's like, <laughs> I want people to stop asking me that question because it's an irrelevant question. Because at this point, it doesn't really matter if, if they mean what they say or not. Because if you're in a community and 90% of you are just irony posting about hating the Jews and hating women, hating gay and trans people, right? Right. And you, you're all just doing it for the irony, right? Because we're all saying the same jokes. If 90% of the community is like that and they're not going to do anything, that's all I don't want to say it's all well and good. It's still bad, but you know, that 90% feeds into that other 10% who actually believe that stuff. Oh yeah. And I'm not even going to say that the actual split is like 90, 10. It's, it's not that it's absolutely not that so many more people believe it, but even in this hypothetical, if it's just that 10% of the people that believe it, eventually one of those people gets compelled to act because you can't keep saying all this rhetoric without someone being compelled to act eventually. And then that's when we get Christchurch. That's when we get mm -hmm. January 6th. That's when we get all of these heinous, you know, mass shootings that far right people have committed. And yep. then they whip out a manifesto and it's like, Oh yeah, great replacement theory. Oh yeah. The Jews run everything. Right. And so it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if, the people who are saying the racist, bigoted stuff believe what they're saying or not. No. Because at least a certain subset of those people believe it. Yep. And it all feeds into each other to create this community of hatred and of, of like rising, constant building tension that eventually has to explode. And the only way it can explode is through violence. And so like, that's one of my new year's resolutions is this like, Hey, I want people to stop asking me this question yeah. because it's unimportant and it is irrelevant. Right. So hopefully, hopefully people get that. <laughs> hopefully indeed. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time today. Great to have you back on in the new year. You have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thanks. Happy to be back and have a happy new year. And here's to the new year, hopefully being Less eventful. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we'll see. We'll fingers cross our crossed. fingers really hard. Yeah, but we'll see. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at GrizzaBJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.